Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. I am Michael, your host. Today, we're going to be discussing, David and I will be discussing, Season 4, Episode 7, titled, A Few Badgies More. <laughs> it's your favorite character back in, back in the limelight. Yeah, Dave, listen, as soon as I saw that title... I didn't even need to watch the episode. I was like, I'm in. <laughs> Give me some Badgie. And dude, I did not realize what they would do with Badgie this episode, but it was awesome. I mean, it was the atypical Star Trek moment. You know, you you think of the stuff they did with Badgie harken back to stuff like Data and Lore and all the weird dualities in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. So the official synopsis... Three computerized villains return to cause problems for the Cerritos crew. The episode was written by Edgar Moe Placer and directed by Bob Suarez. David, this is actually the episode you and I have been waiting for. We have now talked about the return of the AI supervillains for quite some time now. You know, yes, when I say quite some time, they were present during season three yes but we knew it was only a matter of time before they returned now we haven't seen all of them in one episode together sharing an extensive story now we've seen a story where they're encompassing both peanut hamper agamus my favorite as well as badgie well who doesn't love agamus especially because the great Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Voices the um, diabolical AI. <laughs> AI. <laughs> Dude, Jeffrey Combs, is he like, I mean, he's Star Trek royalty, right? At oh, this point. He, he is because of how many times he's shown up in Star Trek in different characters, not as all like one character. Yeah. He's shown up in Star Trek as multiple characters. D Space Nine, he was what, two, three episodes? Three characters. I think he was three. Yeah. He was actually and, three. And, and then, then he was one of my favorite characters in Enterprise. Yeah. I forgot his name now. Um, oh my God. I forgot his name too. I, it was too, much, like, too much Star Trek. And I forget. <laughs> because, well, that's what happens when you see the giant koala in the sky. <laughs> become one with the universe. Yeah. So what was your favorite part of the episode? Oh, my favorite part of the episode by far is... Probably um, Badgie. The whole story of Badgie, okay, is this one character who is traumatized because Rutherford is his father and he has daddy issues, essentially. Mm -hmm. And in the very end, in order to get his way, he has to separate first from his good side. So he meets Goodgy, which I'm happy that Goodgy is still around. 
And then later on, Lodgy, he he removes Lodgy and then kills Lodgy. If I didn't know better, I would think five-year-olds actually writing this. (laughs) (laughs) There's no thought process in these names. It's literally like, hey. One of the writers probably has like a kid, like a four-year-old. I'm like, give me a few names. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. But it's so, it's so cool because like the way that it's done, it's, it's that part of like that Rick and Morty magic where it's like outside, you look at this and it's like, just like you said, it looks like it's written by, by a, by a fifth-year-old. Yeah. And a, it, what's a, a fifth-year-old? A fifth-year-old, a fifth-grader. There you go. But then you take a step and you go, wow, there's a lot being said. Let's see. He separates from his the good side and the bad side. So you have the those two. But in order to truly be evil, he has to throw away logic and embrace his chaotic side. So what does he do? He kills his logic side. <laughs> yeah. I, that's so great. I know. And that's the thing. It's a lot of like the, a lot of the things I really dig about Lord Dex is the subtle symbolism i think that's the proper way that's the proper word to use for like when you give your story but like there's like little meanings behind everything yeah and it's not just you know fluff (laughs) what i call fluff it's not you know there's meaning behind it meaning behind your actions yeah and that's the thing that i feel like mike mcmahon took away from his time on Rick and Morty. Oh, he did. Because yeah. despite Rick and Morty's childish dick and fart jokes, it's actually a very intelligent show. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one thing I've always said that I've learned from Rick and Morty, you can do dick and fart jokes, right? But then Rick and Morty can actually give you a story of, you know, self-awareness yeah. and give a character existentialism. like existentialism and deal with like really heavy themes, like even like suicide, human, human, human problems, human problems. Like uh, Rick is an asshole by, by all strength and measure. He is a bad person, but you feel sorry for him when you, when they take that moment to show you, Hey, this is what he's going through behind the scenes when he's by himself. Yeah. I wouldn't and say he's he, a bad person. I'd say he's like morally ambiguous. He's morally ambiguous, but he's also broken. Oh yeah. Because I mean, yeah. come on, like when he's in the garage and for those people that are probably wondering what we're, what we're talking about, Rick and Morty, there's a, there's a very iconic scene in Rick and Morty that every Rick and Morty fan talks about that just leaves them gobsmacked is the garage scene where Rick is sitting there in the garage and you realize by the end of it, he's been working on a machine to try to kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> How dark is that? When you come to the realization, oh my God, this man is just really miserable and broken. Well, and that's why I say Mike McMahon brought something from, from or at least learned something. And it, listen, it could very well be Mike McMahon that brought that skill set to Rick and Morty. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not familiar with Mike McMahon's work prior to Rick and Morty. However, there are so many similarities mm-hmm. between the shows. Uh, and not just the obvious, you know, it's a cartoon and they're both silly. There's a lot of dick and fart jokes that there's themes that are governing both Rick and Morty as well as this show and where Mike McMahon really flexes and shows his Star Trek know-how is taking those Rick and Morty elements, let's call it, and mixing it with what makes Star Trek, Star Trek. And that's what he did in an episode like this. When you have... Mm-hmm. 
an episode start essentially with this this brief flashback to uh, I believe it was a post credit scene from the season three finale where we yes. see Rutherford's implant uh, seized by the Druk the uh, Drukmani Drukmani salvage vessel, and then you create this entire story of this villain's ascension where he transcends. He is conflicted. Yes. It's a very classic textbook Star Trek type of thing. The idea of a being of high intelligence, having an internal crisis. And, you know, I guess you can say a form of introspection or internal deliberation where such a being then engages in critical analysis and is forced to reconcile their intellectual inconsistencies, such as beliefs, purpose, values, and logic. And in the end, he either destroys them or fixes them. And then in doing so and fixing them ascends into a higher plane of existence. Yeah. Where the koala resides. And think about it, like all of this, all of this depth that me and you are talking about because it's there. Oh yeah. But then you, you, you surround it or you kind of like dress it up with jokes about koalas, jokes about basically, um, very, very interesting father, father, son dynamics. Yeah. With Rutherford, you do all the, all those jokes are wrapped with this nice philosophical th- statement about this character in Badgie. Well, you have this character, I guess you can call Badgie nihilistic. Oh yeah. You know, he, he snubs everything that most people wouldn't. He is the complete opposite in a lot of ways of the utopian ideals of the Federation. But through this process of self-discovery, he rises above his own nihilistic nihilism. Yeah. Yeah. His own nihilism and transcends to a point where he sees purpose and realizes, why am I doing this? Exactly. Because that's what most nihilists and existentialists suffer from is the idea of a lack of purpose. And typically you try to find your own meaning and values of life so that you can feel like there's a reason for being essentially. And that's what this episode did in such a beautiful way, dude, with this badgie character. And this oh, yeah. is the, this is actually the direction I was hoping they took. Because if you look back at all the previous badgie episodes, it definitely was laying down, say the groundwork for this type of, I guess you can say ending ending for, for this character, especially like when you look at the overall theme of this episode was about quote unquote redemption. And, yeah. and, and you look at the characters of Agamus, Peanut Hamper, and Badgie, who are three of the most deplorable villains that they've ever introduced, right? But at the end of the day, those characters find their own redemption. Why? Because they went into a soul, soul-searching moments and they have this existential crisis that they come to this understanding of what truly is their purpose. That's what it's all about. It was about a purpose. I, I I was like cracking up at the fact that this whole time, this whole season, I thought the main main uh, villain of the of the entire season four would have led to the one of these three. Why well, was AI? I remember you said that that uh, you had thought that that mysterious vessel was probably one of these three. Yes, 
and you were on the right track. Obviously, it's not now, but they were still connected. They connected the stories together because the myth arc of the season, this unknown alien vessel, is further fleshed out, but this time with the assistance of Agamus. But the beautiful thing about that, too, is not only did they do that, but they they pushed the narrative forward by giving us a little bit more information on that species. We now know they're not going around destroying things. They're going around and collecting things. Yeah, they're, they're stealing, stealing these vessels and not actually killing them. And that's what I was saying prior to us recording when we were talking about what we're going to discuss for today's discussion. There was a lot of moving parts yet again in yep. a 26 minute episode. So many different parts. Some aspects were a little bit lighter. It's not the best written episode of the season, but man, they really brought together multiple story arcs that they have been working on since day one and bringing them a certain amount of resolve while using that resolve to push forward the actual myth arc of the season, which is the unknown alien vessel. Yes. That is some good fucking writing. That's not just good writing, Mike. That's good that's good show running. Yeah. Because if that's yeah, absolutely, if that the, another thing that me and you have talked about in other shows that many of our audiences probably listen to at this point is the fact that we harp that the art of show running is lost. No one seems to understand what show running does, what a showrunner does. You look at all the other franchises, we all have our gripes and complaints of how their, their shows are going. And it's usually we point to the fact that there's too many cooks in the kitchen. There's not that centralized voice that's that's the showrunner. Yeah. Here in Star Trek, we have showrunners running things. And you can you can say bad things about like Picard or you may people might might be out there, some fans might be out there and say, I don't like Discovery. But the thing I will always say is the the strength of Star Trek is they stick to their guns because they have a showrunner that has their set, you know, creative mind in place. Yeah. In my opinion, the problems plaguing other IPs currently, including Star Wars, which is probably the worst right now. Star Trek, this new era of Star Trek no longer has those problems. No. Now I'm not saying everything is perfect. It's not, nothing's yeah, perfect. nothing's perfect. And they do need to make some, adjustments here and there on some of their shows. I would like to see more of the philosophical being brought in, you know, maybe larger issues pertaining to the human condition, as opposed to some of the more easy, low hanging fruit that is usually explored in today's TV shows, dealing with identity politics and, and other things. Like I don't have a problem with that, but let's expand out a bit. Yeah. But other than that, Dave, I really don't have a lot of complaints when it comes to Star Trek anymore. Yeah. Or I should say this era of Star Trek any longer. And I think the, the biggest the biggest bonus, the biggest pro of Star Trek right now is we have some very strong showrunners and executives behind each show. I think the last season of, of any Star Trek that has irked me was probably the first season of Picard. That was a season that was written very poorly. There was yeah. a lot of good things that they were doing, a lot of cool ideas, yeah. but the story in itself just, it fell flat. Because uh, like you have, I always say, there's a reason why they let that showrunner go. Yeah, because the, the showrunner did not have a clear, concise path 
for his show. He didn't understand how to he show run. He didn't understand where, okay, I just can't throw ideas at the wall and hope that they stick. And no. you know why he didn't know how to show run, David? Because he wasn't a television writer ever. Ever. And he was a He's novelist. He's a novelist. And that's, and then, but then afterwards, you have Akiva Goldsman come in and suddenly write the ship. And Akiva Goldsman's a good showrunner. Yeah. You have executive producer. Yeah. He's you have, not, he's not, or, he, he is a showrunner, but he isn't the showrunner. He's not the showrunner. Yeah, yeah. But the, you have uh, Terry Metalis. Terry Metalis has done a very good Metalis. Metalis. <laughs> yeah. And then on. Imagine if, if uh, Metalis and Akiva Goldsman were there from day one. Exactly. Picard season one could have been way, way, way would have been way, way better. So bringing it back to lower decks, here we are yet again with, with a, with an expert level writing team mm-hmm. tackling Star Trek in some of the best ways you can tackle Star Trek and making it fun at the same time. Now yes. I, I'll be the first one to say that, you know, comedy isn't always my go-to that's why Lower Decks tends to be your your favorite thing. Like you love oh, yeah. Lower Decks. Me, I like it because of Star Trek. I prefer my Star Trek more serious. However, that doesn't mean that this isn't an exceptional show. They're really doing some really good work this season. And you know, listen, it's pretty consistent, except for a few things here and there during season three. Those are just minor nitpicks. We're not talking... Let me get on YouTube and create a 45 minute video where I'm ranting about how Star Trek is woke and it's a bunch of bullshit. That's just not the case currently. Yeah. And especially in, especially with lower decks, because like I've always felt the strength of lower decks is yes, it is a quote unquote cartoon based on comedy, but that writing team still is able to give us something that has some depth to it. It still is the most, I, if, I, I don't like gatekeeping Star Trek, but I, I think most of us Star Trek fans could probably say that Lower Decks is the most Star Trek Star Trek currently airing. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, no, you have a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, when it comes down to textbook Star Trek, it is absolutely doing it the best oh yeah because right behind it i would say strange new worlds when it comes to textbook star trek textbook star trek yeah textbook star trek storytelling i think like strange new worlds this this past season that was like old school star trek storytelling but like when you take the entire franchise as a whole you look at lower decks that is bar none the 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 the, how Star Trek is written. Yes, it's more done in the comedic vein. Yeah. But it still remains its essence of that, at least giving us that bits of philosophy, giving those bits of hum- humanity that basically is Star Trek. Isn't it's- that what I said when this show started four years ago now? I said, listen, as long as you stay true to what this show is supposed to be, I'll. I'll be there. I'll watch the show. And that's something this show has managed to do consistently since day one, even with the less than stellar episodes, it still Mm -hmm. is star Trek. That's very much, um, what star Trek should be and should always be in my opinion. So, I mean, if this is a clue as to how the season's going to end, I think we're in for 
what, well, there's three more episodes left this season. Yes. After this one, it's basically episode. We only have this whole season's 10, I think. Yeah. I think we're in for a really good final quarter of the season because oh, yeah. each episode, I believe David has actually gone up in our RMD score. Oh yeah. Because I we started the year off with like an 82 or something. <laughs> and since then it's just, it's been on a slow, slow incline. Yeah. I think our last episode was in the nineties. Because that was like one of our favorite episodes. Yeah. And then like when you get to, but when you get to this one, the thing I really appreciate about it is, I don't know, it's almost like Lower Decks has a way of basically answering the questions that I'm always afraid of as a viewer right now. Like I constantly was like, oh, they're going to go the AI route. They're going to go this route. No, they totally wipe off that board and basically say, no, the AIs have nothing to do with the ship that's the the main antagonist something else so in doing so they make me want to watch the next episode to say okay well if i'm wrong yeah agamus peanut hamper and badgie have nothing to do with the the ship that the the main antagonist of the of the season yeah so who is because and that's the beautiful thing about lower decks is they keep the strength of this season is like it keeps me wanting and guessing what's going to happen next do you think the reveal will it stick to classic Roddenberry roots and it just be a simple misunderstanding, lack of communication? I think it's heading towards that. Or do you think we're going to be introduced to a new villain or an old villain that we haven't seen in a very long time. The problem is I don't know what old villain you could possibly bring up because like throughout this season, they've essentially gone through every single episode and wiped out this villain off the board and saying, no, yeah, that's not but, them. but you're dealing with almost what? 60 years of star Trek. There's so there's many, so many, there's so many characters. And that's why I'm like going, you gotta, uh, uh, now we're trying to dig deep and saying, Oh, who could it be? Could it be like a, like what you said, like an old villain returning? And I'm like going, I just can't think of any old villain that would come back and essentially go around and collect alien species. It's got to be a very powerful species. I mean, I could go with my go-to, Mike, and say it's Q. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Please stop. <laughs> it's Q. Everything, every, every, single, every single series, it's down to Q. <laughs> no. Okay, so bringing it back to Jeffrey Combs, he has been nine characters. Imagine that. That is insane. On four different Star Trek television shows, most notably Brunt of the FCA on Deep Space Nine. Yep. Weyoun on D Space Nine. And then this is my favorite, Shran on Star Trek Enterprise. That's what it was. It was Shran. I, dude, he is, Shran is on my top 10 favorite Star Trek characters. Because number one, it, I didn't even realize we knew nothing about the Andorians until I watched Enterprise years back. I'm like, yes, you know what? We don't know anything about these, these aliens. What a great way to finally expand on, on their mythos, you know? So yeah, so he played Shran just to name those. Those are, I think those were his top three, right? Brunt, Weyoun and Shran. And Shran. Yeah. Those were the, because he's always been this one actor 
especially back in the day that they would just call on to play characters <laughs> because in Star Trek, it's very easy to cover someone up with a ton of makeup and make them into an alien species. But the fact that he, see, I always thought Jeffrey Combs, I think to me only four or five, I didn't realize it was so many up to eight. No, but nine, 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 up to nine characters in Star Trek. That he, is like he was insanity. in Voyager as well. He played some rando character. And then of course, lower decks. So there's the four episodes, four shows he has been in, but he has played nine characters, nine characters in Star Trek. And it's like, <sighs> and listen, there are people who would not, be able to pick him out because his yeah. range forget the alien prosthetics brunt <laughs> next to shran and Wei yoon oh next to agamus you would be shrugging you'd be like wait what that's yeah. the same guy yes it is yes I mean, it is Wei yoon and and shran you can probably see the similarities to a degree because they speak similar a similar cadence but the way he plays brunt there's no way. No, there's no, no. way you're going to figure that out unless someone tells you, <laughs> but that's the thing that I'm like, I see, I'm looking up pictures right now of like all the characters that he has played. And it's so insane. Like he's gone from playing a, a, a regular gangster, uh, a mobster character. <laughs> yeah. In TNG. Yeah. And then he went, no, from, no, it was deep space. Nine. Oh, deep space nine. Yeah. And then he went from Wayun, which you look at that first jump and it's like, no way that's Jeffrey Combs. But then you go to Shran and then you go to uh, the, he even played a Ferengi at one point. Yeah. It was Brunt. Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's Brunt. But there's uh, a about Krem. Yes. From enterprise. Yeah. And it's like, Holy crap. It's a, it's so weird that you're right. If yeah. you were to actually say, Hey, can you pick out Jeffrey Combs? And you probably couldn't because of the fact that, the prosthetic uh, makeup has done stellar, but on top of that, you have his range. He's just, he's an amazing talent that's never been given the credit he deserves. And then you have him doing a voice of Agamus. Agamus is totally different. Well, it's a, <laughs> you can kind of tell it's him though. I, it's kind of hard to. With voices. Yeah. With voice, you can, you, it's hard to differentiate. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't think he's doing a bad job. I'm just saying that when I heard Agamus back you, in you what? Yeah, I knew it was Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, but it's like characteristic wise. Well, dude, he's a box, David, and <laughs> <laughs> it's animated. Come on, there's more to Agamus. Now, than now just you're just blowing him. Now you're just blowing him. There's more to Agamus than oh. he's a box. He's also blue. <laughs> he's I did like that. That part was fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, dude, that made me laugh so hard. Look, I'm going to change my color. I'm good now. <laughs> what a great episode. They also kind of riffed on the whole grappler thing. Yes. They're kind of poking fun. You know, when they said, why do we even need a grappler? <laughs> so I think one of them is that grapplers are dumb. Yes. I would have to agree with that. That's one thing that I definitely disliked about Enterprise. I got used to it eventually. They didn't have a tractor beam. <laughs> they had a grappler. And we understand why the technology... The technology wasn't there yet. It's still relatively new in, in, the, um, in the world of space exploration. Humanity ha hadn't really mastered all of its technological advancements quite yet. 
Mike, Archer was a simple man. But that grappler was, I'm like, what, what are you guys, fucking pirates? <laughs> no, 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 I always thought the grappler was a hillbilly thing. That was such a hillbilly thing when you look that at it. That makes Star it Trek. worse, David. And I don't want to. That made it funnier because it's Archer. It was stuck with Archer. And I was like going, yeah, Archer's the hillbilly of all captains. <laughs> if I was an executive producer on that TV show and they brought me that idea, I'm like, no. <laughs> How about we just have a, a first version, like a Gen 1 tractor beam that doesn't always work right? And then there's that. How one, about we do that? And then there's that one writer who, ooh, I think that will do just nicely. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> you talking about Archer's yeah. uh, podunk, behavior podunk behavior in that first season? Exactly. Ooh, the lolly. Let's ooh, do the lolly. Grappler. Uh, <laughs> the worst. Yeah. I, I, yeah, we're getting to other territory here, but <laughs> listen, this is what Lower Decks does. It, it does. It just, it's, it's a show that relies a lot on callbacks. And it's okay too. That's the, do you realize? It's okay. As long as they also have their own definitive story. Yeah. And so far they do. But think about it, Mike. Although Lower the first Decks, episode this season didn't. The, the one of the strengths. A little bit of a struggle bus. Yeah, that was a struggle bus. But like one of those, one of the strengths of Lower Decks is. They've been able to do those callbacks that me and you just like rally against in other shows, but they make it work. But Why? Be because they stick with their, they, they, they still give us a narrative to follow. Yeah. And as long as the show continues to do that, I will always watch this show. If the show mm -hmm. becomes nothing but references and Easter eggs, then I probably would you know, transport myself <laughs> right off the ship. And you, you, you want to put you, yourself in the buffer, no. in the transporter buffer. Nope. <laughs> but I would shoot a grappler at Mike McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. So percentage for this episode, RMD score. I'm going to give this one a 89. I really enjoyed this episode for, for what it was. And I, as I said, it's one of those episodes that I was really surprised with because originally I thought that, the main, this would have been led to the finale of seeing, you know, the AIs once again being the main antagonist for the Lower Decks crew mm -hmm. because that that's an ongoing theme of them going against AI, which I'm okay with. Yeah. Essentially, Mike McMahon says, no, we're going to do something completely different. And that has me really interested in what they're going to do in the next three episodes. Yeah, I'm hoping the villain is new i don't know if it'll have the same effect though because we know that this show is built on ooh, a reveal <laughs> exactly. it is built on that in a lot of ways so it almost feels like mike mcmahon is almost forced to make it be something or someone that is familiar to star trek fans but we'll see i'm gonna give this episode a 90 percent I thought it was a strong episode. It was probably one of my favorite episodes of the, of the season so far. I like the badgy stuff. <laughs> I like when people are conflicted internally and you have the, the splitting of personalities into separate beings. It gets highly philosophical and I didn't want to get too nerdy into that stuff. I was going to break it down. And I was like, you know what? This is a cartoon. I'm not going to get all crazy. <laughs> you don't want to get, you don't want to make our audience go, are these guys serious? Yeah. I don't want to over intellectualize something that doesn't need to be. 
but it, it was smart and I really yeah. enjoyed the episode. All right, Dave, this brings us to the end. All right. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.